This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire's signature NHL hockey pod podcast with Statsman and AJ, brought to you with support from our pals at Owner's Box with their new way to enjoy fantasy sports. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host is AJ Scholes, who's a great follow at AJ Scholes24, based in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin, which is pretty close to Rotowire headquarters over there in Madison. Good morning, AJ. I know we both celebrate birthdays tomorrow, and I got a, an idea how you'll be marking it, very unusually, in fact, but in the charity space, and I applaud you for that. Why don't you tell our listeners a bit about that? Yeah, so uh, my, my wife and her family have kind of hijacked my birthday. Uh, <laughs> um, they've been going up to uh, what's called the American Burger Biner. It's a cross-country ski race. It's the biggest Uh, cross-country ski race in North America. So I've gotten into that as well. Um, So it's a 50, normally a 50-kilometer race, uh, like I said, up in northern Wisconsin. This year with COVID protocols, it's a mere 43 kilometers. Uh, So, you know, a a little break for me probably shaves an hour (laughs) off the amount of time I got to spend there. Um, For our, our U.S. listeners, that's about 26 miles, give or take. Um, but uh, I've been doing that the last uh, couple of years as part of Team ALS that raises money for the Wisconsin chapter of the ALS Association. Their goal being to, one, uh, primarily find a, a cure for, for ALS and then also to support families as they're dealing with, uh, you know, dealing with ALS diagnoses and, and everything that comes along with that. So I uh, had to take last year off because our youngest daughter was born, um, but back at it this year. Uh, for for another round and and you know approaching um i would need a lot of our listeners to chime in i i can post the link i i'd love the the extra support but um approaching a a overall raised uh, amount over the last several years of four thousand dollars um so really hoping uh if it's not this year i'll get there next year for sure that's awesome aj i i know i've shared this with you privately but uh, uh, ALS has touched my family life uh, with my mother-in-law 
getting taken hold of, of this disease. Uh, about a year ago, she was taken from us. In fact, after a very brief battle with it, it was a very violent case that she had, and that was one of the worst things I've ever seen in terms of a person's decline, and I'll never forget that. And I applaud you for doing what you're doing in this space. I think everybody should find a way to incorporate charity, charitable endeavors in their life. Mine has been with Road Hockey to Conquer Cancer. I've spoken about it in this show uh, over the years, and uh, that's going along. We're coming around for to our 10th celebration of that event this September if uh, things loosen up with the COVID protocols. So I'm, I'm going to be still involved in that. But I applaud you for what you're doing. Very important uh, research is being done in that space. And I want to uh, hope that everybody who's listening is spared from ever seeing this, this disease up close and personal. It's not fun. Uh, so good, good on you for doing it. And uh, uh, a little bit of a commercial for the, the charitable work that we both do, I guess, there. And in terms of another commercial opportunity, AJ, we owe a debt to our sponsors at Owner's Box, and I want you to tell our listeners a little bit about what's going on there. Hey, NHL fans, Owner's Box is here to reinvent the way you play fantasy sports this season. Owner's Box is not DFS. They're the first ever weekly fantasy sports platform that combines the best elements of the industry into one product. Owner's Box is a head-to-head elimination-style format that keeps players engaged through live snake drafts, social interaction, and a new layer of strategy that allows you to become the ultimate fantasy GM. The best part about weekly fantasy sports is there's no long-term commitment. Users are able to draft a new team every single day and participate in different types of contests to keep the fantasy experience fresh and fun so you're never out of the game. Compete with your opponent over seven days of fierce competition and get paid out weekly. No more falling subject to unfair payouts as up to 50% of users win money. Owner's Box also allows users to brand themselves and engage socially across the platform in multiple different ways, add friends, create custom leagues, and rank up to elevate the trash talk and competition to the next level. Think you have what it takes to be a weekly fantasy guru? Head over to ownersbox.com and start making a name for yourself today. In honor of the NHL season, if you sign up free now, Owner's Box will match your first deposit up to $500. What are you waiting for? Head over to ownersbox.com slash rotowire to claim your bonus and join the new wave of fantasy sports. All right, partner, we swing into our look at 31 teams. I go first this week, and I look down the list, and I realize only one team did not play last week, and it's one of your teams. So you have a bit of a, a lesser load this week than I do. I do two more than you, but uh, it'll even up over the long haul, I'm sure. But I'm, I'm encouraged about the fact that fewer teams are being affected by the COVID uh, situation. That's a good sign. I take that as, the, as a sign that things are improving. So let's be optimistic as we go through this. We start with the Anaheim Ducks. They went 0-3 last week. Sam Steele leading the scoring. It was very limited scoring, though. He, he scored two goals to lead the team, and the rest of the group was pretty much offensively challenged. And uh, I want to focus on the left wing of, of this roster, AJ. The storyline here is that Max Jones moves up into the left wing uh, role on the top line, while U.S. Junior World Championship MVP uh, makes his debut this week and that is uh, Trevor Zegras. I was a very impressed with this guy at the World Juniors AJ. I don't know if you caught any of the action but he was head and shoulders above everybody that played in that this tournament and I like the fact that they've given him a little bit of a uh, chance to see what life is like from from the stands watching the games in the early going and he's been practicing with the team but now he's going to get a look alongside Stan Steele on that second scoring line and Jacob Silverberg on the right wing that's a pretty good situation for him to get started in and I'm, I'm anxious to see whether the junior experience translates 
into the NHL for him immediately, or there'll be growing pains like we've seen with a couple of fellas in the, on the New York Rangers roster that we'll talk about later. We also want to point out that because of this situation on left wing uh, with those two players, Danton Heinen has lost uh, playing time in the t- a scoring unit, but a lot, a lot of that is his own doing, AJ. Only four shots on goal in the last four games played, an indication that things have gone south for a guy who they expected big things from. But uh, they have three viable options there, and I think you're going to see that move up, movement up and down for a while. On the blue line, Hampus Lindholm is dealing with a lower body injury, and that means uh, the offensive load will fall once again to Cam Fowler to run the power play and carry uh, the team offensively from the back end. He's probably their only option right now that's healthy in terms of the scoring capabilities from the blue line. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I they thought they were going to get the Kevin Shattenkirk of last year's, you know, they thought they'd get the Tampa Bay Kevin Shattenkirk, but they've clearly uh, instead gotten the New York Ranger Kevin Shattenkirk here, um, you know, just five assists in, in 19 games and really not producing uh, at any sort of level there for for the Ducks. And I, I too, I'm excited to see Zagreus and, and what he can bring. Um, you know, I, I definitely think maybe you take a flyer on him in DFS uh, when you know when Anaheim plays plays next, and just see what you can get out of him because his his price tag is not going to be high. So if you get anything, it's it's going to certainly um, be a, be a good time, uh, a good uh, production value for you. In uh, in Arizona, a one one in one week for them. Phil Kessel, really the driver of the offense. Uh, last four games, two goals and, and two assists. Uh, about half of that coming on on the power play, so uh, decent production out of him. A bit of a slow start, obviously. You know, we've talked about Phil earlier in the year and it, it being down a little bit, but obviously he seems to be rediscovering that, which is always a good thing um, for for the team. Outside of you know Phil, it's kind of some of their usual guys that are producing: uh, Clayton Keller, Christian Dvorak, uh, Derek Broussard had two goals in his last four games, so he's starting to to find something there as well. So. Um, you know, maybe a sign that, that things are improving a little bit for Arizona. Uh, you know, offensively, they've, they've been a little lacking, um, for lack of a better term, but they're still right there in the mix. They're tied with 19 points with, with Colorado and uh, L.A. Of course, they've played a few more games than either of those teams, so that's going to hurt their chances to get in the playoffs. But if they can get this type of production out of Kessel, I think uh, they'll, they'll stand a good chance of finishing in that top four. Well, and AJ, uh, I want to talk about the, the way they've distributed the minutes there. When you look at the first, second, and third lines, Phil is listed on the third line, but he's playing about 17 minutes a game owing to that power play. And and really, there's nobody on, on the offensive side of the puck that's playing around 20 minutes a game. Like some teams are going really top-heavy with the first line. But in, in Anaheim, Arizona, rather, it looks like the, the three top scoring lines are all spread out kind of evenly, and the playing time is reflected there. So I wouldn't lose too much sleep over the fact that, gee, Rotowire's showing Phil on the third line. It really isn't your typical top three lines in terms of minute distribution there. Just uh, just a note on that. In terms of the Boston Bruins, AJ, they were 1-1 one one last week, and they played, of course, one of the games in Lake Tahoe and blew out the Flyers in that one. Pretty much the beat goes on, though. Uh, the top line has been the, the line that's carried the load here offensively, clearly, and Pasternak added four more goals to his totals and uh, he's on the verge of being among the the league leaders even though he's missed a whole chunk of games that's how good he has been and that line has been but really the story here is about the overall defensive stinginess of this group which is a surprising thing to me uh, noting that uh, there's been some changeover on the back end with a couple of key departures 
they're still one of the stingiest teams in the NHL. And a large part of that is also the responsibility of their forwards. Uh, David Krejci among them. He's uh, listed day-to-day with a lower body injury right now. But uh, they're going to just slide Charlie Coyle into that second unit uh, in between Nick Ritchie and Craig Smith. And I don't expect them to miss too much of a beat. Uh, it affords the club to look at three youngsters on the third line, which is an, a, a unique look here. Jake Studnika, uh, Jack Studnika between Jake Dubrusque and Anders Bork. Uh, a look at the Bruins' future, perhaps, uh, on that unit. AJ, Andre Kasha still on the sidelines as well. That's uh, two key pieces missing from the forward group. And on the back end, similarly, uh, Jeremy Lozon is uh, listed as day-to-day, uh, joining Matt Grizzlick on the infir- in the infirmary, uh, leaving Charlie McAvoy as really the only offensively uh, gifted player on that back end. Euro Vakanenen is getting more play time and partnering with Brandon Carlo in a bit of a new look there. So there's been juggling going on on, on the forward and defense ranks, but this team is still one of the best in the conference. Yeah, I think, you know, the concern with it for me more than, as you alluded to, you know, David Krejci obviously is a, is a solid player, but um, they have a, a decent enough depth at, at the forward group and, and that top line is still together that I'm more concerned about the, the defensive injuries. You're talking about three guys now um, potentially out and, you know, guys, uh, Zorbro, like maybe he would start. He's kind of on the fringe, six, seven, somewhere in there. But but Lawson and, and uh, Grzelczyk, like both of those guys are in their top, you know, top six for sure possibly even top four. So now you're looking like if Lawson doesn't play, now you're putting Kevin Miller or Steve Camper in who are established veterans, but they're not guys you want playing probably more than 15 to 17 minutes at this point in their career. Um, and then that means you're giving more minutes to Vakanenen, as you mentioned. So it's it's starting to get to that point of being a bit of a concern, and, and you hope that um, for their sake that, you know, it, it doesn't take too much of a dip, but I'm not really expecting that. I'm, I'm sure they'll power through in Buffalo. Look, the story has to be Jeff Skinner. Uh, the fact that he went from, you know, being benched, they scratched him on uh, last night. He didn't even uh, make the lineup. I mean, you're paying a guy literally $9 million a year to sit in the press box right now. That's, <laughs> that's certainly not a good, good sign. So, you have to wonder if they're going to look at trying to move him. That contract makes it almost impossible when you consider the fact, even if they retained half of the salary, which is going to set them up poorly into the future, I wouldn't want to do that. But even if they did, taking on $4.5 million in, in cap space this year is, is pretty cost prohibitive even at that mark. So I, I just don't know what Buffalo is going to do at this point. They, you know, that this contract has just gotten bad. His numbers are, don't look good. They've, you know, he's not in that last game. He didn't even play any time on the power play either. So they're, they haven't even been able to utilize him in that role. So uh, it's a big question mark for Buffalo, what they do with Jeff Skinner and how they move forward. And, and I'm not sure I have the answer to that one. You know what? And uh, if you want to just substitute one name, uh, I'll throw Taylor Hall into what you just said. And apart from the, the it being a long-term hit for uh for the player that you mentioned it's a short-term hit for taylor hull one season eight million dollars but he's only got one goal to show for it uh, as well so two real big problems in skinner and hull and their lack of production and even jack eichel only two goals for a guy who looks at the top of the scoring leadership and says you know i'm every bit as good as mcdavid and, and matthews but here i am mired in a mess and it's starting to reflect in his play too so there's really a lot of unfortunate news in buffalo 
bad news even. And and you can add even on defense, Rasmus Ristolainen, uh, dealing with still de- dealing with lingering effects from the COVID uh, virus in his life, and uh, still out of the lineup with no real return date in place for him. And uh, along with Jake McCabe being out, that's two key pieces on that blue line that are out of the lineup. So that puts a real tough load on Linus Olmark and Carter Hutton in the nets. Uh, a real tough situation in Buffalo, and they're looking like an also-ran this year already. I think you can talk, tell that they're going to be among the sellers this we, this year at the trade deadline, uh, this early in the season. The, the season's a write-off for them. In terms of Carolina, this is a team that's one of the, one of the pleasant surprises so far this year, and it's all about the offense, AJ. I'll just rattle off some of the numbers from last week from some of these players. The players that are familiar to us as scoring leaders did turn up. Uh, Tara Vinan with a goal and five assists. He's dealing with an upper body injury listed day-to-day right now. Vinny Trocek uh, slots in as a second-line center, but scored like a first-liner last week. Three goals and one helper. Nino Niederreiter finding his groove there, and I, I thought it was only a matter of time before this guy would fit in somewhere as a scoring line winger. He picked up five points last week, and that's just scratching the surface of what he can be, I think. Uh, Sebastian Ajo, also five points for him. Martin Etchkatz, four points. You see where I'm going here? There's getting a ton of offense we're talking not about only four games played they won three and and lost one in overtime they even got contributions from a youngster on the back end who's worth a look jake bean with four helpers i think this guy's going to be a key part of this back end for a long time so the news is all pretty good there for a team that's battling with tampa for the the division leadership and i didn't see that coming well, and not to mention the goalie situation either. You know, Peter Mrazek out with a thumb injury. You thought maybe that would result in a dip of play, but they've gotten solid net mining from James Reimer. He's 2-1 and one in his last three with a .91 uh, save percentage. And meanwhile, the youngster, Alex Nedeljkovic, uh, had uh, a .934 save percentage in, in his two appearances. So, um, you know, they're, they're getting solid net minding. Hard, hard to really find something that's not working for this team. Honestly, it'll be interesting to see if Mrazic's return causes any sort of uh, problem there. I mean, not, not that you blame the player, but, you know, a different dynamic with a different goalie. They've been having Reimer and Nedeljkovic go every other night kind of back and forth. Obviously, Morazic's going to want to be more of a every night kind of guy. Um, so, to, and, and what do you do? You have a player in Neto Djokovic who's going to be your net minder of the future. Do you, you send him back to the taxi squad or send him back to the minors um, when he's playing this well? It's it's a tough situation. It's a good problem to have, obviously. But I'm I'm very interested to see what they do uh, coming out of out of that uh, that injury. In Calgary, they've got uh, some good news as as Sean uh, Sean Monahan was back in action uh, last night and and got in uh, got a goal in uh, and an assist. So he had missed the previous two games uh, with an injury. So good news for them. And I think that really provides them. Look, I, Michael Backlund is a very capable guy to fill in as a second line center, but I think I'd rather have him as my third line center. So getting Monahan back. Um, Sam Bennett was the, the right winger there. I think that's a good spot for him to be playing with Johnny Gaudreau. Um, and, and I think that'll help him kind of get out of the funk that, that he started the season in. So um, pretty much all good news for them, with the exception of uh, Jacob Markstrom picking up an upper body injury. Uh, that was last, I, you know, we try not to talk about last night's games, but <laughs> too much news for this team uh, coming out of that. You know, Markstrom had... Um, 
you know, that, like I said, upper body injury. So uh, we're going to see your, your favorite guy, Paul, big save Dave, as you like to call him, uh, you know, for a little bit, depending on the, the length of injury, but uh, it, it'll be one to watch because Marksham has been a, a pretty big workhorse for them so far this year. No question. That's a key point, and I'm glad you brought it up. I think you're going to see a, a leveling off of the goalie split there, and uh, David Riddich really did himself a big favor by turning in such a great performance against the Maple Leafs last night and a shutout win uh, in his return to the Nets. And Markstrom did play a lot of hockey, and I don't think he's a, a guy that you note in the same class as Vasilevsky and a couple others around the league, Halibuck and even Freddie Anderson in Toronto, who are capable year after year of handling a big workload. Markstrom really did that for the first time last couple of seasons, and uh, and uh, this year with the compressed schedule, it looks like it just simply came uh, at a big toll for him. He was seeing a lot of rubber, and uh, Riddish came up big, and, and maybe we will see that leveling off in the near future, so uh, that'd be a, a boon for Calgary anyway going forward. The Chicago Blackhawks, they have to rate as probably the biggest surprise for me, uh, or one of the biggest for sure. They're actually competing for a playoff spot. I didn't think that was in their future this season. They went 2-1 and one last week, and it's uh, uh, it's a mix of the youngsters and veterans that are doing it, and that's a great recipe here. Uh, Kubelik with two goals, Kane with four points, Soderberg even with three points in his last four games played, locked in now as the number two center ahead of, of Dylan Strom. Lankinen continues to be the story in the Nets, though. Thir- he started 11 of the last 14 games, and his numbers are really solid. They've even got another youngster who's moving along the learning curve on defense alongside Duncan Keith, and that's Ian Mitchell. This is going to be good for this guy's development. I'll throw a U.S. college reference out there for you AJ 89 (laughs) points over his last three years at the U of Denver and he got his first NHL goal last week clearly this guy's got a bit of an offensive upside and he's going to be learning from one of the best uh whoever did it in in recent times and Duncan Keith steady at both ends of the ice and Mitchell could certainly learn a lot by uh, just looking over at what his defensive partner is doing on a nightly basis well, you look at those Chicago teams that won cups. They they were driven by guys like Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook uh, having solid, you know, solid defensively. And I I see shades of that and what they have moving forward with Ian Mitchell, Adam Bachwes, and even uh, Wyatt Kalinick. I think all these guys have you know really solid upside potential for the Blackhawks, and yeah, uh, it's it's a good sign of things to come. I, I think you know you look at. Uh, you know, a couple teams every year, I feel like there's one team that's like, seems to be right about there, seems to be getting better. And you call any success they have in that year as a bonus year. For me, this is a bonus year for Chicago. If they have success this year, um, you know, that's kind of unforeseen, but it benefits you in the long term. And and I think it'll be, you know, be good for them uh, to have that, uh, especially with these younger guys and a changing of the guard, right? We had Corey Crawford for years in the Nets, now we're looking at, at Kevin Lankinen. We're seeing a transition in some ways from Duncan Keith. Not that Keith's, you know, done playing. He's still uh, doing well. But transition from Keith and Seabrook to these youngsters. You've got guys like DeBrincat and Kubelik stepping up in the absence of Jonathan Taves. And, you know, Andrew Shaw's out as well. So if I'm a, if I'm a Blackhawks fan, it's, it's a really encouraging thing to see. Uh, in in Columbus, there's some uh, not so encouraging news as Elvis Merz-Lickens picks up an injury here. They're listing him as week to week. Uh, you know his numbers haven't haven't been great this year. They haven't been bad. He he's got a 2.81 goals against average in in nine appearances, but that's going to kind of force them into using either Jonas Corposalo more, 
which we saw, you know, that might not be the best for him. He seems to favor a, a little bit more time off or they're going to have to give Matias Kivalinkas some looks. And, and that's not necessarily a bad thing for them either, but um, it's, it's not ideal, obviously, to have your, your kind of 1B netminder or, you know, 2, 1B, whatever you want to call it, pick up an injury like that. For uh, offensively, you know, they've, they've continued to get okay production. Uh, Roslavic's numbers kind of finally dropped off after a really strong start to his time in Columbus. Um, but they're getting, you know, Patrick Line chipped in two assists in their last three games. They've got a pair of goals from Boone Jenner and Cam Atkinson, respectively. Um, so there, there's good things there, but uh, I think the goaltending thing is a concern. They've obviously been without Zach Rewenski for a couple of days here, too. Um, and that's, you know, there's not really anybody they have that can replace him. Vladislav Gavrikov is going to see the biggest uptick in minutes, but he's definitely not a Wierenski replacement, that's for sure. And that's uh, putting a lot more pressure on Seth Jones, of course. Now he becomes the unquestioned linchpin uh, to backstop that power play. David Savard is another key offensive defenseman that's missing from the group, so a lot of pressure on Seth Jones to carry the mail. Jonas Corposello is not playing the way he was last year by a long shot, too, so some question marks in the nets for me as well. But, boy, oh, boy, Winnipeg just must be looking over and seeing Line and Roslovic, first liners on this club, and, and uh, maybe thinking they may have given up a little bit too much here, though they've got to be quite happy with the guy that they got over there. We'll talk about him a little bit later in the program as well. Colorado Avalanche, this is a team that uh, played a, a series of games against Las Vegas and had, had the advantage when I see it. Uh, they went 2-1 uh, and one in the three games uh, overall. And uh, they are featuring, of course, Nate McKinnon, two goals and two assists, leading the offense. But Grubar had a nice week for them, too. Two game starts, two wins, and only four goals against. He's been pretty good on the season, though. I would say fantastic, even. 167 is the goals against average, 936 a save percentage. For me, and I don't know, no, this might ruffle your feathers a little bit, but I think he's the early season Vezina leader by, by a good margin when I look around the league, AJ, in the early returns. Uh, uh, outstanding effort by, by a young man in the Nets. Yeah, it's definitely been um, you know interesting to, to watch. I, I don't think he would have been somebody I would list as, as a candidate for, for the Vezna at, at any point here. But you know, as you said, he's, he's had some decent outings. They've been relying on him more than I think I, I expected when you consider, you know, Pablo Francis, I think, was going to be, you know, uh, able to take a little bit more of a, a share of the workload there from Grubauer. But he's been out and is no nearer to getting back. And then they also have Hunter Miska hasn't been available um, after having to enter the COVID protocol. So they're, you know, their other option is Adam Werner. So I expect to see pretty heavy Grubauer workload the rest of the way. Um, and, and they'll continue to ride, uh, ride him as much as they can. You know, you look on the year, he's only sat three games, uh, two games. I'm sorry. So like <laughs> they, they, they've been playing him a lot, 13 of 15. And, and I expect that to continue, uh, Dallas, as we mentioned, no games this past week, uh, not because of COVID, uh, because of weather related concerns and, in the, uh, problems they've been having down in down in Texas with with power and water, and so um, I, I'll just add interesting story that came out of that is a, a handful of the veteran guys there uh, had brought in uh, families and, and players. Uh, Jamie Ben, uh, Anton Hudobin, uh, a couple of those guys had these younger guys and or 
um, other players with families who maybe didn't have power were, were staying with them. And so it was great to see kind of their veteran leadership group there take these guys in and, and really support the team in, in this kind of you know circumstance. Yeah, that's an ultimate team building exercise out of a crisis like this. That uh, where they, the way they banded together and helped the community, it will bear some fruit in the long run. But hope things settle down in Dallas. Uh, we up here in the north, we we are more used to dealing with <laughs> snowy situations, and maybe the people in Texas are looking at that this thing. What the hell is going on here? Is this the <laughs> sky is falling or something? But uh, hopefully, the worst is over for them in Detroit. Uh, well, the worst just seems to continue for this. Club. Club. One, two, and one was the record last week. Uh, considering they only scored six goals, that tells me the goaltending had a little bit to do with any uh, success that they had. Consider that uh, offensive linchpin here is Dylan Larkin, only three assists in his last 10 games played. And after a nice start, Bobby Ryan really has been in a, in a slump. One goal, two helpers in his last 10 games played. Among the forwards, it seems like only Robbie Fabry is uh, accounting for much offense with five points in his last six games to kind of lead that pack. But this this team that's offensively challenged needs to shut things down defensively, and they did a decent job of that uh, last week to get three points, but uh, it's going to be a long road ahead if they just can't find a way to get uh, people like Larkin and Mantha to contribute. I find it odd that they put a guy like Darren Helm on the left wing on the first line, too. This guy's not really an offensive juggernaut of any kind, but they're waiting for, for developments for the development of Philip Zadina. been very slow in that regard. He talked a little bit a big game when he first came in to his first NHL camp and really hasn't delivered since then. Uh, Val Philippel has moved around now instead of playing center. They got him listed as left wing on the third line, too. I would, I would sooner see him uh, on the first line than Darren Helm, I would say, but really the pickings are really slim along that left side, AJ, and uh, that's just one of a few problems here that uh, this thin roster does have at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And you look at the net mining, and, and to your point, Paul, the, the numbers aren't really that bad. Jonathan Bernier, one and one in his last uh, two, you know, last three games, and a point nine four four save percentage. So clearly, the goaltending isn't isn't necessarily the, the problem here. Um, they just need to to get some offense. To to your point, one team that's having no lack of offense right now is the Edmonton Oilers. Three and one last week. As you did earlier, Paul, just rattle off some numbers. You got McDavid, three goals, six assists. Ryan Nugent Hopkins, four. Uh, Nurse, four assists. Chase on, three goals. Drysaddle, two and two. Like, it's just everybody contributing. Uh, your, your former Maple Leaf, Tyson Berry, with four assists as well. And so they are just continuing to just steamroll everybody. Um, and, and that's not going to stop. And then on top of that, they're getting decent net mining. Uh, out of a, a guy like uh, you know Mike Smith there uh, with his return, I, I definitely think this team was starting to flounder a little bit with the heavy workload that Miko Koskinen was facing, um, and and Smith just seems to stabilize that. Now, granted, a, a .896 save percentage in his last three games, but a pair of wins, um, you know, and and I think the divided workload is good for Koskinen. He played in just two games, went one and one with a .947 save percentage. So. Uh, I think they're better suited having both these guys available, um, but and then they can just keep it close enough. 
these guys don't even have to be good, just good enough <laughs> with that kind of firepower in front of them. Right, and I want to give a nod to defenseman Darnell Nurse. This guy's numbers, AJ, are among the very best uh, that any defenseman has in the NHL. Consider he's on a career-best scoring pace with 16 points in his first 20 games played, along with a plus 13, and he plays the game very tough. I'd hate to be going down the wing on his side of the ice because he'll take your head off uh, at the uh, easiest opportunity, first opportunity, as well as showing the offense side this guy's really a very physical presence so they got a gem there and he's clearly emerged as the top guy on the back end in uh, in Edmonton though Tyson Berry's having a nice rebirth as you mentioned every time I look at him I think think I don't recognize this guy from what (laughs) what he was last year at all so complete 180 from him and good good on him in Florida, it's more. It's all about the offense here too. There's been a few teams here. We just so I highlight the numbers to show you uh, that it's the the veteran leadership that is taking hold here in these places. Uh, Barkov and Huberto combined with for six and, and seven points respectively. Alex Wenberg providing secondary scoring with a couple of goals and assist. Patrick Hornquist, a guy that I know we both have a lot of time for, a rugged guy who is a good net front presence, two more goals, two assists. Keith Yandel, undersold as one of the better offensive uh, defensemen in the league with four more helpers. And I guess maybe the coaching staff is listening to our show because I've been beating the drum, beating the drum for Chris Dreger to take on more of a uh, net binding share. He did that and picked up three wins last week, three game starts, uh, nine goals against, a little bit high for, for uh, what we'd like to see out of him, but still clearly outplaying the veteran Bobrovsky in the nets and uh, they're giving him more playing time a youngster who is is uh, doing a little bit of no- making a little bit of noise there is Lamico, who is factoring in into the offense here AJ uh, he is is a Finnish extraction and uh, getting some looks uh, he's played up and down the lineup listed now as a fourth line uh, center but uh, he's moved around on the wings as well and factored in the offense to chip in a couple of goals last week so it's not all about the veterans as I, I said at the outset they're getting production from up and down the lineup here, and it's no wonder they're contending for the for the leadership of the division the way they're going right now. The workload for Dreger continues to be heavy too. You know, he did uh, he played and won last night too. So you're talking four wins, four starts in his in the team's last five games. Like it's mind boggling to see Sergei Bobrovsky sitting on the sidelines, but at this point there, there's nothing they can do. Uh, Chris Reger has forced their hand at this point and they're going to have to continue to, um, you know, utilize him in, in probably more of a role than, than anybody really expected because his numbers have just been so good. Another player that's kind of forced his, uh, his team's hand this season has been Cal Peterson. His uh, time in, in LA has been really good. But despite that, they continue to ride Jonathan Quick, and rightly so. He's got three wins in his last three games with a .975 save percentage. Um, Cal Pedersen, his his lone appearance in the last four games was was a winning effort as well. So uh, they're getting good net mining out of uh, L.A., and I think that's about what they're going to need to rely on. You know, they have a handful of guys that can produce and score. Uh, Dustin Brown has four goals in his four last four games. Uh, Trevor Moore has two goals in his last four games. And so they're, they're definitely getting some offensive production here, but if those two net miners continue to thrive at this level, uh, there's just no, uh, no stopping this team in what's kind of a weaker West. Uh, I think that four spot all along has been up for grabs. I personally didn't expect LA to be one of the teams that would be competing for it. Um, but you know, the, everything's wide open there. 
uh, and they seem to be in the mix with a, a really good week. Yeah, good point by you. We kind of panned the the West Coast teams in the states uh, in our preseason predictions, but Los Angeles has bucked that trend, and it's been a combination of, of the veteran group as well as some youngsters that they're trying to nurture and bring along their own learning curves, and it's it's shown in the mix of scoring contributions this week. You mentioned uh, Kopitar and Doughty. We mentioned about every week they're also among the league leader, a week, a team leaders last week with four points each, but then Gabriel Velarde has three points. Trevor Moore has two points. Alex Iafalo has three points. That's part of the younger guard that's moving in. And you mentioned Jonathan Quick. He had two game starts last week with two wins and only two goals against finding his groove for the first time this season. That's only going to help this club going forward if that keeps up because the net mining has lagged a little bit behind the uh, uh, offense uh, that the team has been able to generate. And that's why they're primarily why they're in a fourth place spot right now. And a team they're battling with is the Minnesota Wild. They went 2-1 and one last week, and it's uh, Kevin Fiala has been a stud for this team for a long time, and he led the scoring parade with three goals and one helper. But I want to talk about Kakanen in the Nets. Three games started last week, two wins, five goals against. Now he started nine of the last 11 games. I didn't think he'd get that big a share of the net. But again, performing like some uh, a couple other youngsters mentioned, Lankanen in Chicago. Uh, so a couple of younger goalies are making the, the name for themselves, and this guy's doing it here, keeping many relevant as well. Uh, it looks like uh, Victor Rask is getting more reps as a frontline scoring center here, chipping in with three goals in his last three games here as well, AJ. So there's, there is good news all around the roster, uh, and that's why Minnesota is uh, relevant in their division uh, to date. They're getting contributions from un- unexpected places, and uh, Matt Zuccarello is active for this team again, and that's great news for the club. He picked up seven points in his last three games, and they really missed him in a big way for a long time last year as well, but you're starting to see just how important this guy is or can be to the success of the Wild going forward, and uh, they're a tougher out than, uh, than they were two weeks ago. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Getting Zuccarello back has, has been huge for them. Um, and I think it's it's big for these younger guys like, uh, you know, Kirill Kaprasov, who's going to play with him on that second line. Uh, I think it's a great opportunity for him to, to you know, learn from uh, Zuccarello and, and kind of emulate what he he does on the ice. And to your point about Kakronen, look, Cam Talbot was out uh, on the, um, you know, unavailable for, for a stretch there with the, the COVID protocols. And Cochranham really took the reins. And, and right now it looks like he's not going to let up anytime soon. Uh, overall, I think eventually they'll settle into more of an even split between these two. But uh, it definitely he is making the most of his opportunity there and, and continuing to, to thrive for, for Minnesota right now. We'll take a look at Paul's favorite team, the Montreal Canadiens, <laughs> who uh, gave you a, a gift last week, an early birthday present as they went 0-1-1. Uh, I know you love watching them flounder uh, and nobody really uh, stepping up in any sort of huge way. Now, now granted they only played uh, two games over that stretch, but you've got, you know, Suzuki, a goal, Cottenemi, a goal, Perry, a goal to Foley and Byron, both scoring a goal. And, and that's about it in terms of offensive production here. So uh, it's definitely a concern in, in some ways, but at the end of the day, look, Montreal is not a team necessarily that needs to be built around uh high offense when you've got a guy like Carey Price in the Nets now I I understand he struggled his most recent game but that's a blip on the radar if Carey Price has a bad game it's a blip uh I assure you that they're still getting solid net mining out of Jake Allen maybe not quite the same level they were earlier 
Um, so I expect them to to bounce back. I don't. I think it's a little bit too early to call this uh, the you know their demise. Now, the other fact is they're they're at 21 points, which puts them at fourth. But they've got one game in hand on Winnipeg and three games in hand uh, in hand on both Toronto and Edmonton. So you a couple wins there, and they're right back up towards the top of that division. Yeah, they have to be a little bit concerned with the the lack of scoring down the middle of the ice. Uh, Nick Suzuki really cooling off. Philip Deneau struggling to be a consistent offensive force. But I'll tell you what, I was impressed by Jesperi Kotkaniemi when he played against the Leafs. He showed great speed and hustle, uh, more than I've seen in in most outings uh, from him on the offensive side of the puck. So I think there's some growth happening there for sure. And long term, the top three at center should settle in and be more productive. But the lack of goal scoring that they're getting from these guys is almost... Uh, incomprehensible to me when you consider uh, the talent that they're playing with and I wonder where they'd be without the uh, the additions of Toffoli and jo- Josh Anderson who have led this offense in a big big way you take away their efforts and this is a really puny looking offense uh, but uh, they have them in tow and they're getting great performances out of both of those guys and they will be a factor in this division I, I don't expect their their current struggles to continue New Jersey Devils, this is a team that uh, got some good news last week. We'll get to that in a sec, but uh, they went 2-2, two and two, and you're starting to see some offensive numbers here translated into their recent success. Pavel Zaka is a youngster that they're counting on and to grow in, into a key role here. Two goals and two assists from him. Kyle Palmieri, two, uh, two, three goals and three assists to lead the offense. Severson, uh, a guy that I have a lot of time for on the blue line, showing that he can be a contributor from the back end with three helpers. Jesper Bratt also chipping in from his wing position with three assists as well. In the nets, Mackenzie Blackwood continues to get a lot of the action. Three game starts, two wins and seven goals against for him. But they're waiting for a couple other guys to to really uh, lead the way here. And one of them is Andreas Johnson, maybe finally finding a bit of a comfort level. Three points in his last three games, locked in as left wing on the second scoring line. But the biggest news of all is Nico Heischer finally made his debut, and they rewarded him as well. Uh, with the captaincy here he's going to be locked in as the number one center it may take him a couple of games to get going but this is a guy that you got to look at could be a real cheap option in dfs play uh, and when he gets uh, his groove uh, going on the, in the center slot and on the power play here he should be a dynamic force that really changes the look uh, at least the top end of this offense for me well, I'll just add there was, you know, a certain, uh, you know, uh, Canadian that got a lot of attention last week for playing a thousand games. And, and I'm sure we'll talk about that in a little bit. But that we shouldn't overlook the fact that Travis Zajac also got to that threshold uh, this weekend. 197 goals over his career, 337 assists. And look, he's only the second player from that 2004 draft class to get to the thousand game mark uh, behind Alexander Ovechkin. So quick shout out to Travis Sajak, who obviously has been under uh, underappreciated outside of New Jersey for hitting that milestone in, in light of who else got there this weekend for the Nashville Predators. Uh, this is a team that went one and one last week. Carl Yonrock, uh, uh, Callie Yonkrock, rather I like merged his first and last name there <laughs> uh, had two goals uh, last week. They're, their biggest news is that they might get Ryan Johansson and or Brad Richardson back either today or, or their next game. And so I think uh, having those guys to fill out the lineup is really going to be a boost there. Now I get Johansson has not had 
a great start to the year. He's still looking for his first goal of the season, despite 10 games has just 16 shots on net for those 10 games. Like we always talk me personally about that two shots, a game threshold. Uh, he's going to need to put a lot more pucks on net if he's going to break through uh, and, and get back on the score sheet for, for the first time this year. But Whenever they do get them back, that's going to really help their depth. You figure Johansson slots in on the first line with Philip Forsberg, Brad Richardson probably uh, on the fourth line uh, for them. But, you know, that's a tough Wiley veteran that, you know, can really help them down the middle. And and I think that's going to improve this team's fortunes moving forward. Yeah, I mean, you can almost I can almost look at the centers in this situation and say they're older versions of of what's going on in Montreal. The lack of scoring from from guys who've done it in the past. Granlund, Duchesne, and Johansson when healthy. These guys have been productive players in this league. They're just not showing it uh, in the last couple of years here, to be quite frank. Granlund, in fact, getting top-line minutes despite the fact he hasn't scored anything in the last five games. So uh, they'll be welcoming Johansson back just to see if he can get a different look and a different result. They're playing with, play, have an opportunity to play with some dynamic wingers here in Forsberg and Arvidsson who are really skilled offensive players and really haven't been hampered by the fact that they haven't got a scoring line center in place they've still continued to do their part but it really helped this team if they can sort out the center of the ice going forward AJ up next we're going to talk about the New York Islanders this is a team that has relied on centers to drive their offense Brock Nelson and John Gabriel Peugeot picking up three points each last week but they've got some steady wingers too who have chipped in regularly and it's familiar names Anders Lee he had a tough start to the season but he's rolling along got three goals last week and Josh Bailey is one of the better playmaking wingers he has five assists to his ledger that he added last week but it's on the defense and in net where there are some key developments for me Nick Letty is finally uh, solidified uh, a look for me that tells me he's he's put uh, some struggles from the last year and a half behind him where he seemed to lose his offensive game and part of his defensive game as well AJ but he seems to be back and so all sorted out three assists added to his ledger as well as a decent looking plus minus Ilya Sorokin finally paid a dividend in the Nets with his first win and it was a, sh- a shutout performance so good on him for that uh, key effort uh, to maybe make uh, a name for himself he'll have to put a string of these games together otherwise you look for Semyon Varlamov to continue to continue to take the load so that'll be something to watch the goalie situation over here but uh, it's it's uh, also notable here that they've really changed up the look on their third line Austin Zarnick and Oliver Wallstrom both guys who have played up and down this lineup in the past are up from the taxi squad to flank Peugeot on that third line and uh, wouldn't it be nice for the Islanders to stretch their offense a little bit beyond their top two units uh, because right now their profile is a defense first team and, and they've always been but be nice to augment that with some offensive upside. Scott Mayfield showing a better level of comfort uh, on the back end with new partner Nick Letty. I talked about Letty's success. Uh, maybe he's found a good relationship with Mayfield, uh, a guy who's bounced around this roster, but getting top four minutes right now. They're both looking good at both ends of the ice in the last five games, and that only adds to the overall structure of the Islanders. It's a formidable foe, I think. I've got a Twitter challenge for, for our listeners out there. I want them to go on to Twitter and convince me that there's a better third-line center in the league right now than Jean-Gabriel Pajot. I, I don't think you can make a, a better argument for, for that. Seven goals, four assists in 18 games this year. Uh, he had four of those points coming on the power play as well. So I, I just don't think there's a better 
third line center anywhere in the league right now. And, and that's really a, 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 a boon for the, for the Islanders to have the guy who's number two in goals on the team uh, anchoring that group and, and makes them hard to match up against and, and really a dynamic trio. Uh, I'll, I'll flip to the other Rangers club and I'll talk about the on ice product first. The Rangers went two and one last week. Colin Blackwell, two goals. Pavel Buchnevich, a goal and three in assists. So getting some decent numbers there. Obviously, uh, you know, the, the biggest thing around them right now is news came out yesterday. Artemi Panarin going to take a leave of absence from the team in light of allegations uh, regarding a, a 2011 assault, um, which has been linked to cr- his criticism of Russian President Vladimir Putin. I think what's telling, you know, the NHL teams or organizations, it doesn't matter what league, are very cautious with anything of this sort. But you look at the statement from the Rangers, and this is pretty definitive in their support for him, you know, saying, you know, Artemi vehemently and unequivocally denies the, the allegations. They even uh, say in their statement uh, this fabricated story. So I, I think the fact that the team came out so strongly in support of it definitely leads, lends credence to the fact that this is a, not a real, um, you know, a real uh, allegation that, that this event didn't happen. Uh, you know, it, again, the team statement even uh, ends by calling them unfounded allegations. And so, unfortunately, um, from a fantasy perspective with Panarin, I think you have to stash him, even though there's no clear indication. Is this a week? Uh, are we talking months here before we're going to see him again? But a player of his level, I, I think you're really kind of stuck and kind of have to stash him, Paul, before we, you know, we got on air here. We were talking very similarly to when Pierre-Luc Dubois got traded and had to have the 14-day quarantine. Obviously, you're not going to drop a player, but what do you do when you don't have a guy available for two weeks? And it's it's a tough situation for the Rangers, obviously tough situation for, for, for Panarin, but our focus, of course, is the fantasy aspect, and, and I don't envy any fantasy owners for Panarin right now, given the uncertainty there. Yeah, I echo your sentiments. A very sensitive situation, dating back to an allegations that are 10 years old, but they, uh, the Russian uh, machine, as I'll call the pol- political aspect of that country, is it's got tentacles everywhere, as we have realized in recent years. And uh, this is just another one uh, that has impacted the New York, New York Rangers and Panarin's family. So uh, they're given to give him every time, every minute that he needs to sort things out in that regard. And in the, mean- in, in the meantime, it's going to hamper this offense. Uh, Zabinijad's going to move into the center spot uh, with different wingers here, Lafreniere and Kreider, and Ryan Strom with Buknevich and Phil Dujic. Giuseppe, the, Phil Giuseppe might be the big winner out of this whole situation moving into a top six role, but uh, Panarin out of the lineup is going to hamper this team going forward, no question. Ottawa Senators, this team, they were going to be pesky, uh, we said at the outset, uh, but they were going to be last, and both things are holding true. Two and two last week, Brady Tachuk leading the offense. To Chuck leading the offense with two goals and two helpers. We talked about Drake Batherson being a scoring dynamo in the AHL. Well, that's starting to translate into the NHL now. Three goals and one helper for him. And a guy I've got a lot of time for, and we've got friends at Rotowire who are related to this guy, Connor Brown, two goals, one assist. Evgeny Dadanoff, uh, the veteran, is chipping in now a little more regularly. Two goals for him. In three of the last four games this week, the Senators showed why they could be a tough out. And uh, the four-pack that I just mentioned, a key part of this. The veteran group is leading that way, including these names that I, that I mentioned, in fact. In fact, 
they badly outplayed Montreal on Sunday night, a game that I watched after the Canadian struggles on Saturday. They uh, made it twice over with a, a very poor effort against Ottawa, but I thought it had as much to do about Ottawa's performance uh, as Montreal, uh, despite the fact that Thomas Shabbat is out on the back end. That's a big uh, hole in that lineup. He's dealing with an upper body injury. I don't think it's going to be a long-term situation, so they can breathe a little bit easier uh, uh, knowing that, but uh, every every game without him is a, even more of a struggle than it was figuring to be. Yeah, Shabbat status still uncertain for for tonight's game, so that's definitely one uh, that that fantasy players, uh, regardless of format, are, are going to want to watch and see whether or not he'll be in the lineup. Speaking of injuries, Marcus Hogberg is facing a one to two week absence, which means it's Matt Murray or bust for Ottawa. Um, and more often than not this season, it's, it's been bust. Now you mentioned he, he got that win uh, on, on Sunday, but that's his first, uh, first win. Actually, I'll, I'll put it this way. That's just his second win in the month of February. Um, he's been on a, a pretty significant skid uh, yanked from the crease a, a couple of times. And so, uh, it's it's not good news in that sense for Ottawa um, that that they're going to have to really rely that much heavier on on Matt Murray than maybe they were planning to. Uh, in Philadelphia, it was also a rough week for them as well. Our our rival clubs have given both of us birthdays this week. Paul Montreal struggled, Philadelphia struggled. We're both happy. Uh, Flyers went oh one and one last week. Uh, uh, Faraby two goals, no assists. Hayes with four helpers uh this is a depleted team that that's playing without you know a, a handful of guys that would be in the top six they don't have Claude Giroux Jacob Vorisak Travis Konechny like those are all top six guys um then you add in Scott Lawton Oscar Lindbaum uh, even Wade Allison is is missing so it, it 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 piles up when you have those those guys out Center is probably the one position they haven't really been hurting. They still have Couturier, Hayes, and, and Nolan Patrick there, but uh, it's been a little thin on the wings, and, and I think it showed last week in their overall record. All right, we're going to go over to the Pittsburgh Penguins, AJ, and I, I think you got a tear in your eye still from the ceremony on, <laughs> on Saturday on the weekend, don't you? Uh, a great per, uh, performance by the man, by the group that sets these things up. It was a very nice ceremony from what I saw, partner, and I, I bet you still have a lump in your throat, I'm sure. <laughs> His current right wing, though, is the guy I want to talk about a little bit, and that's Kasperi Kapanen, only two assists in his last seven games played. I've been disappointed by this disappearing act before and I wonder what your perspective is on him specifically they also miss Jared McCann who's been out of the lineup for the past five games dealing with a lower body hurt but he's expected back at some point and and he's been kind of a Swiss army knife for this team for years AJ so I think it's a very key loss uh, in, uh, in terms of uh, other players who've been uh, kind of catching your ire a little bit Chris Letang had two goals last week that's the offensive side of this game looking good. I wonder about the defensive aspect, which has been heavily criticized by you and others uh, much of the last year and a half. Tristan Jari picking up most of the action in between the pipes. Two wins in the three-game starts and a total of six goals against. So it looks like he's got his game in order, and maybe he is in line for a longer run as the number one goalie. So a lot of questions buried in there for you to unpack and uh, certainly uh, to talk about Sid Crosby. Yeah, I mean, I'll start with the the question about Kapanen. Uh, to your point, yeah, the the numbers aren't uh, aren't great right now. Uh, he is having to adjust to playing with Sid and and Gensel because they flipped Kapanen uh, and Brian Russ in the hopes of getting Evgeny Malkin going. 
uh, who has honestly struggled both offensively and defensively. I mean, to be completely honest, Evgeny Malkin has looked human uh, this year, which has not been the case over over the course of his career. To McCann, honestly, I don't I don't know where they put him when they get him back. Uh, I don't anticipate that they would put him in that top line spot with Kapanen, uh, you know, and take Kapanen off. Uh, I don't think they put him on the second line. That third line has been just absolutely phenomenal since Zach Aston Reese came back. These three guys play exactly like you want a third line, just physical, speedy, uh, and they produce periodically. So are they stuck with sticking Jared McCann in a, in a fourth line role? That would be a little bit of a surprise, but I don't know what else they do. Um, as far as Sidney Crosby goes, look, the, the fourth player in that 2005 class to hit that thousand game played mark. Um, you know, I, I, Hope there's another thousand in there for him. <laughs> um, I probably not, but you know, I, one one can dream, right? So um, we'll continue to watch him play at, at an elite level and and drive this team. And and look, if if you're uh, you know looking for for something to watch, uh, that highlight reel was absolutely phenomenal to to watch and see all those goals throughout the years and all the milestones that he hit along the way. And obviously, Paul, you'll remember the golden goal up in Canada, uh, which has been the most conflicted goal in in my uh, life. You know, obviously, I'm cheering for Team USA, but to see you know one of my favorite players score that goal on on home soil, it was hard to be mad about it. I'll, I'll leave it at that. For San Jose, been uh, uh, you know getting healthy on defense, I think, is the key here. Uh, Eric Carlson's been out for for a while now. Uh, since you know February 13th was his last game, and then uh, Radom Simic has also been out, so they've had to go with some uh, you know younger, uh, you know less uh, you know less quality guys on on the blue line, guys like Freddie Clayson and Nicholas Mel- uh, uh Melosh uh, rather. <clears throat> I think I got there eventually. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, with, without those guys, yeah, the the blue line's been really stretched for for them, and I think that's opened up. Uh, the netminders to see, you know, just that much more, uh, more work and, and more pucks. Uh, and the numbers haven't been great for either guy. Marty Jones in his last three appearances, one, one, and one point nine Oh three save percentage. Devin Dubnik's been worse. Uh, one, uh, one win in, in two games played, but a point eight, eight, nine save percentage in, in those appearances. So not getting quality net mining in, in San Jose, the offense has been okay. Uh, Logan Couture, three goals, one assist, uh, but otherwise uh, not a ton of production out of them. And really, uh, the fact that they went 2-0-1 you know, last week is kind of a miracle, I think, in, in terms of this team. <laughs> well, they're trying to get a bit of a different look there uh, on their offense. John Leonard has performed admirably in recent weeks and had a nice week last week. And Rudy Balser, since he got insult, inserted into the lineup as a left wing on the second line, has also chipped in offensively. So there are some newer faces that are creeping into the mix uh, alongside familiar names like Hurdle, Couture, and Kane in, in this uh, front line of this team. But the question marks for me are still in the nets. Marty Jones and Devin Dubnik, two veteran guys. I expect more out of both. Dubnik particularly has been a bit of a surprise. I know Jones 
Jones' struggles have been the last couple of years, but Dubna came over on the heels of a very nice stretch uh, before joining San Jose, and really he's caught whatever bug it is that infects his team. Maybe it's a lack of, of, of a defensive posture. That's best reflected in the numbers of Eric Carlson. He's had a dreadful year in terms of plus-minus. And, and he's hardly produced offensively to offset that when healthy. But even now that he's on the sidelines, uh, you think, what could this team be if they got the, the better version of Eric Carlson back in the fold? Uh, he's a far cry from what he was in his glory days in Ottawa right now. And there, there's another albatross of a contract when you consider the performance that he gave them when he's on the ice. And uh, he hasn't been for the last four games. And there's really no good news in, in uh, terms of Eric Carlson right now. In St. Louis, they're still uh, a team that is pretty formidable. They only went one and two last week, but uh, I think some of the key names offensively continue to hold uh, hold their own. Uh, Raiden Shen, two goals, one assist. David Perron, one goal, three helper. Mike Hoffman enjoying life here just as we thought he would, a goal and three helpers, fitting in like a glove into this offense. And really one guy who's taken that one-year contract uh, offer and looking to make a, a name for himself and hit the pay window a little bit harder next year, it's really working out for him as opposed to a couple other guys that we talked about earlier in the show. Uh, as well, after a bit of a slow start, Tory Krug is showing off his offensive upside with nine points in his last 12 games played as the linchpin on defense. He has a plus 13. That's his second best in his career. And don't forget that was all in Boston. So that's how good he's been for this club. And even bigger surprise, Justin Falk already equaling the five goals he scored last year. He was always noted among the top goal-scoring defensemen in the league in his prime. He's rediscovered that prime, and he's also added the fact that he's got a plus 17, which is not only his career best, but one of the best totals in the NHL for a complete 180 from his profile that we didn't see coming. We thought that that contract... Certainly it drove Alex Pietrangelo out of the mix here, but was this going to be another problem contract in the NHL for a club? But it's looking a lot more team-friendly with the performance he's giving them on the ice. Absolutely, and one one player that also has gotten on the ice lately is Vladimir Tarasenko has begun skating with the team, and that would just be a huge boon to an already decent offense. You know, how they shuffle up the lines when, when they get Tarasenko back remains to be seen. Obviously, he'll slot into the first spot. Do you maybe move David Perron to the other side and bump Jordan Cairo off the top line? Um, you know, do you just move everybody down so that you have a third scoring line kind of anchored by Mike Hoffman? There's plenty of options there and, and they'll see what they can do. One team that's dealing with uh, no options is the Tampa Bay Lightning. And that's the goaltending here. Last week, we talked about the fact, you know, we we're like, oh, look, Curtis McElhinney played in a game and, it, and he looked OK. So maybe they won't have to use Vasilevsky quite, quite as much. Well, he got absolutely destroyed by the Panthers uh, this last week. Six goals allowed on, on 21 shot attempts, .714 save percentage there. If, if you used him on DraftKings, you got minus .63 out of him. If you use him on FanDuel, you got minus .72. Uh, so not a good night at any stretch. And, and it's part of the reason that Tampa went 0-2 this last week. Um, they did get back into the win column last night, so hopefully – um, that's a, a sign of things to come. Uh, the offensive support wasn't really there either. So bad net mining, uh, poor offense. And, and Volkov, uh, Alexander Volkov got two goals in his last three games. Um, but that's about it for last week in terms of production. Stamkos and, and Palat chipped in three points apiece in their last three games. 
Um, but you know, not, not a lot happening right for them right now, which is why shockingly uh, you find them sitting in third in that division. Look, if there was a team that I thought could lead their division wire to wire, it would have been the Tampa Bay lightning, but they're behind not only Florida, but also Carolina uh, and they've got Chicago even clipping, uh, you know, nipping at their heels right now. So uh, it'll be one to watch. Uh, I don't anticipate we're anywhere close to a situation where Tampa doesn't make the playoffs. Um, they will be a playoff team, but whether they can win the division, I think, is in doubt for the first time this year. Well, and and you know what? You use that term, and I'll use it right away after watching the Maple Leafs' performance last night and noting the fact that they are as injury-ravaged as any club around the league. In the middle of last week, I thought, this team is a juggernaut. What can possibly stop them? Look at the numbers by Matthews, leading the league with 12 points in the four games played. Marner, two goals, six assists. Riley with five points. Thornton with seven points. Not bad for a 43-year-old guy. Uh, outstanding performance by him when he's healthy. But that's the tip of the iceberg, AJ. And uh, Kerfoot is uh, two goals and three assists last week as well. Injury updates abound here on this roster, though. Thornton, Hyman, and Muzzin all missed last night's game. Um, the two forwards should be expected back in the lineup fairly quickly. Hyman had the unfortunate uh, occasion to get hit by shots in the same foot, either side of the foot, in consecutive games, and that's, that kept him out of last night. But I think these are two Warriors who will be back in. The third one, Muzzin, another Warrior on the blue line, had a facial injury on the uh, on the heels of a uh, the Canadians' third goal on Saturday night. On the follow-through uh, of the shot, he got hit in the face and it broke a bone in his face, and that's going to keep him out for a little while. He'll come back with a face shield, but uh, I expect him to log his 20-plus minutes uh, a night on a regular basis going forward. It's just a concern for me that the Leafs get these shiny new toys in the likes of Thornton and Simmons and company, and they're on the sidelines right now looking in. I wonder how much better this team will be if they can ever get all hands on deck. But right now, I'm a little bit concerned after what I saw last night in the 3 nothing shutout loss. Well, I think the bigger concern to me, uh, you mentioned a, a bunch of pretty impactful injuries, but uh, Freddie Anderson, a late scratch last night and, and you know, dealing with uh, a lower body injury, you know, I, I would imagine because he was originally set to be the starter um, that he'll be, you're expecting him back relatively right. soon, right. but uh, it's, it's always a concern if a, a netminder of his caliber uh, picks up any sort of injury. Uh, and look, you know, if they still had Jack Campbell, I would be a little less concerned. But if they have to use Michael Hutchinson for any length of time, uh, they're going to need Matthews to score even more points than he already <laughs> has been. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, for Vancouver, another disappointing week as they went 1-1-2. and two. I mean, I guess they got a couple extra points with the, the OT losses there. But uh, Miller with a goal and four assists. Horvat, two goals and one assist. Uh, you know, I, I expected way more out of this team. Now, I, I understand with the change of the netminder there, uh, being a, a pretty big impact, but you're looking at, you know, they're sitting six and what should be a pretty wide open, you know, North division here, especially when you only have seven teams going for it. Um, but they've played two more games than even the next closest team and they're sitting in six. So that's not a good sign for their chances of making the playoffs. What's most concerning for me though, when you look at all that is the goal differential at minus 13, um, you know, it's obviously Ottawa makes everybody look bad at a or better at a minus 33, but that, that minus 13 is one of the worst in the leagues. 
uh, and definitely a concern. And, and I think heading into the year, I don't think net mining was a worry. Uh, at least it wasn't for me when you had, you know, Brayden Holpe and Thatcher Demko as your one, two, I figured they'd be fine. And, and, you know, as long as Patterson and Miller continued to produce Quinn Hughes, and then you had Holpe Demko, it seemed like a, a formula for success. But right now, uh, Vancouver really struggling to get wins. And a team that struggled to get wins last week was the Vegas Knights. They, uh, Golden Knights went 0-2 uh, in uh, games against Colorado during that uh, seven-night uh, stretch. The potent offense being limited to four goals against in the three games that they played against Colorado in that entire series that just concluded. Marc-Andre Fleury, though, is a story in the Nets, uh, taking the goalie load while while uh, Leonard has been sorting an, out an upper, upper body injury. Well, uh, the Flower has six starts under his belt and allowing only a total of 12 goals against to show everybody that he's on top of his game, and he should uh, continue to shoulder the load going forward, although it looks like Leonard should be available to play at some point. They have no clear timetable yet for him, but uh, he's with the club right now and uh, should anticipate his return very soon. They're also, I would think that the Knights are looking for a little bit of forward depth out here. And nobody outside of Tuck or Glass is contributing much of anything in the bottom uh, six forwards, AJ. And that's something that I didn't foresee at the beginning of the season, that this uh, scoring would be so concentrated among the two scoring lines here. That's something that the, the Knights are going to have to address uh, at the trade deadline, which is still a few weeks away. Well, I'll have to add, you know, as, as our listeners know, this is practically the Marc-Andre Fleury fan club podcast here. <laughs> um, you know, the flower got got a shutout last night uh, to put him tied for with Henrik Lundqvist for 64th overall. And and while that is really impressive, look, we always talk about our Wayne Gretzky's records untouchable. Uh, I think we're overlooking the fact that Marty Brodeur's records might be untouchable. You talk about Henrik Lundqvist and Marc-Andre Fleury both sitting at 64 career shutouts. That's half almost of Marty Brodeur. He has 125 shutouts in his career. Uh, you look at the goalie wins, uh, that that number is just astronomical as well um, in terms of, of where he sits. Uh, 691 for his uh, Marty Brodeur's career. Again, looking at comparables, Marc-Andre Fleury's at 474, Henrik Lundqvist at 459. I don't know that those records are ever going to be reached, just in part because nobody plays as many games every year as Brodeur did. Guy was playing 70-some games in an 82-game season. Uh, so I, I just, you know, I, I totally agree with what everybody says about, you know, some of Gretzky's records being untouchable, and, and they may be unless guys play longer careers. Ovi obviously is chasing him uh, in a couple of those categories, but Marty Brodeur, I think, is probably going to be end up being untouchable on, on both those lists. Are you telling me that you're this new stats man? Is that you're throwing out all these numbers like crazy? That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I'm I'm taking over as the stats man here. Paul. Uh, speaking of of the Washington uh, Capitals, a, a good week for them as they went three and one. Uh, T.J. Oshie two goals, three assists. Connor Sherry two goals. Uh, Backstrom a goal and three assists. So getting production uh, from you know all. All additional levels of, of the the game here, um, you know. I, if there's a a cons- I won't even call it a concern. If there's a, a something to be a little worried about, maybe is the fact that Obi's got one goal in his last five games. But even that, 
Like that's not a big concern. This is a guy that will score eventually uh, a little mini slump like that. Isn't anything to really be worried about. And, and you know, from whether it's a fantasy or a fan standpoint, uh, I, I'm not expecting any sort of slump. If you want to call it that for Ovechkin to last uh, that much longer. No, I think he really benefits from a great partnership that he has with Nicholas Backstrom, who's on top of his game. So that, that alone should be a big thing to elevate him the chemistry that those guys have is something that i haven't seen uh, too many other uh, dynamic duos like them over the tenure that they've enjoyed in washington finally we close it out with the winnipeg jets this team is uh, solidly in contention in the north division just as we thought they would be mark shifley leading the offense with four goals and four assists in a, th- a week that the saw the jets win three out of four neil pionk uh, has emerged as a real uh, dynamo on the back end we thought that we saw this coming Last year, he's fitting in right now seamlessly. Two goals, three assists for his marks, uh, marks to improve to the point where he's among the league leaders in defenseman scoring. Mason Appleton, two goals for, for him, uh, chipping in and finally showing a little bit more of a growth along his learning curve. But uh, it was Dubois, who is the recent uh, acquisition from, from uh, Columbus, who was, was impressive last, me, I, last week for me. I saw his game uh, where he played uh, a stellar role in getting two goals and one assist, dominating performance uh, by him on the left wing on the top line. That, that's something we can talk about a little bit, AJ. We didn't see that coming. We thought that they would stretch the offense by inserting him as another center here alongside Stastny and Shifley. But he's on the wing, in fact, with Wheeler and Shifley, and that looks every bit as good as the top lines that you might identify across the league with the perfection line in Boston and uh, the Leafs top line in Toronto. Uh, it, it looks like uh, it's unclear to me whether that's a long-term plan or just a way for him to get acclimatized to playing the Jets' way, so that remains to be seen. But wherever they put him, I'm sure he's going to be a key contributor uh, going forward. But the luxury here is they have an added flexibility because guys like Appleton, Adam Lowry, and Andrew Kopp have shown the ability to be offensive contributors in the bottom six, and so that allows them the luxury of experimenting like this. We mentioned Neil Pionk on a scoring tear. It's now scoring points in nine of his last ten games. He's a must-start in DFS play, I think, whenever he's on the ice. I think what's surprising about having Dubois on that top line is the fact that they're not getting production out of Paul Stastny right now. Like I I would have thought if, if Stastny was playing really well and producing, then yeah, you don't need to put Pierre-Luc Dubois as the second center or, or even the third center. Um, But they've got just one assist from Stastny in the, in the last five games, Uh, no goals over that stretch. And that's despite uh, over that, that five games averaging almost three minutes a night on the power play. Uh, so his numbers haven't been great, which is why I'm, I'm definitely surprised that they put Dubois uh, up on that first line. Well, AJ, that wraps up our look around the league. We want to thank uh, our listeners for tuning in to Tuckcast with Statsman and AJ Rotowire's signature fantasy hockey podcast with the support of our sponsor at Owner's Box. Please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22. You can follow AJ at AJScholes24. Don't forget you can watch this pod on YouTube at Rotowire Hockey. And as always, we invite you to listen into podcasts to get our tips to stay out of the competition in your fantasy hockey and planning research. 
I'm going to close the show also, AJ, by wishing you a happy birthday. I know we both share the day. You as well. <laughs> so have a, have a great time with that, and good luck with the Berkey Binding, my friend. And to our listeners, please stay tuned for our DFS segment, which will follow shortly. We want to help you to try and win money on FanDuel and DraftKings. Look to our uh, picks on a limited schedule tonight. They'll come up in a minute. Hey, DFS fans, we haven't forgotten about you. AJ and I, Paul Bruno, the Statsman, are back with your daily fantasy sports picks with our thoughts ahead of tonight's limited schedule of games. AJ, I normally handle the FanDuel side and you deal with the DraftKings portion. Why don't we switch it up a little bit and have you start with the DraftKings picks that you made ahead of tonight's six-game slate? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So for me, you know, I... I've uh, maybe switched things up a little bit tonight to give our, our listeners, viewers, a, a, an alternative option. So I've tried to maybe key in on some players that aren't going to face as high of ownership because their teams aren't favored tonight. And I think because of that, um, you know, if, if it pulls off, it's going to be towards the top in, in your GPP contest. So uh, I start with the Buffalo Sabres. I, again, the, the Devils are minus 143 tonight. Uh, and you know favorites but I think the Sabres can be a team that competes um, and and really challenges uh, New Jersey I think it's a good spot to pick Buffalo as the underdog and so from that standpoint I'm going to use Jack Eichel as my center 7500 you know he's not cheap his numbers haven't been great lately but I think all that combines to maybe see his ownership dip a little bit and I'm going to run him out with the whole first line there Victor Olofsson comes in at 5900 uh, and then uh, Sam Reinhardt at, at 4,700. And I think, like I said, this is a good opportunity to utilize them tonight. The other uh, team that is is underdogs, maybe not quite as heavily, is the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, you know, Columbus favored minus 132 in that game. So I'm going to, again, I'm going to pair uh, Patrick Kane. I'll pay up for him. He always produces. It doesn't matter who he's going up against. I'll pair him up with Pius Sutter, his, his centerman there. Not going for the whole line stack, but I am going to use Kevin Lincoln in tonight. 7,300, he won't break the bank. Obviously, this is uh, assuming he starts. We don't have a confirmation of that yet. Um, But I I think, again, it's a good opportunity to pick an underdog that will potentially have a little less uh, ownership. Plus, the over-under in that game is about as low as you see an over-under at 5.5. So even if he does give up, a couple of goals here. It, it hopefully won't be uh, a shelling uh, at least from that competition. Uh, looking at the rest of my lineup here, my two defenders, I'm going to go with a couple of guys who are very hit or miss. Um, but when they have produced lately, it's, it's been in big ways. I've talked about Dante Fabro in the past. He's still just 4,300. Uh, it seems that he doesn't produce on Tuesdays because every time I use him, he doesn't seem to, to do anything. And then the next night he'll have, you know, like a, a multi-point game. But uh, I'm going to stick with the strategy. I, I think more often than not, it's going to work. Nashville uh, is playing uh, Detroit tonight. So a good opportunity there for them to get some some wins. And then the other guy I'm going to use is, is Mike Matheson, who has seen some really good numbers lately for the Penguins. One goal and, and two assists in his last four games. Uh, starting to to produce offensively for them. And I think that's just a matter of getting comfortable with the system. Uh, he's a very fast skater. So there's some intangibles there that, that I like. And, of course, I always got to fit at least one Penguin in my lineup when they're playing. But I am actually going to go with two, uh, Paul. We talked about Kasperi Kapanen doing a little bit of a disappearing act. 
uh, earlier in the show. He's just 3,800, uh, and he's still set to play first line with Sidney Crosby, and I think that's just too good of an assignment to pass up for a guy uh, coming in at less than 4,000. So uh, if I ran through that quickly, I'll, I'll post this lineup uh, on Twitter as soon as we're done uh, at AJ Scholes. Paul is, you know, as he mentioned, you can follow him at Statsman22, and I'll get him to share his FanDuel lineup for you. Why don't you run through that, Paul? All right, my friend. I'm going to a lineup that might best be used in tournament play today. It's a bit of a mixed bag, and I'm staying away from the dynamic duo at Edmonton, even though they're on the slate. So I will start with the guy that I talked about when I was looking at the Washington situation, Nick Backstrom, $6,400. I think he's going to help Ovi get off the mat against your your team tonight. Uh, I think that's a very low price tag for a guy who's playing very well and averaging 16 points in FanDuel play. And I'll pair him with Jack Roslovic, who's really found a home in Columbus. I can't believe the price tag here, AJ. Only $5,000 for a guy who is listed as their number one guy, and he's playing with Patrick Laine. And uh, I'm putting that dynamic duo together to, to work tonight against Chicago. I know Chicago's played very sound hockey for a couple of weeks now, almost three or four weeks, in fact, but I think they're up against a physical, uh, physically more dominant club in Columbus. They're going to use that to lean on the Hawks a little bit tonight and maybe intimidate them a little bit and get more space for the likes of Liney and Roslavic to put together a pretty nice night offensively. Then I look at the Montreal-Ottawa uh, toss-up, and I put a forward from each team in the mix here. I've got Tyler Toffoli going for the Canadians at $6,600, one of those two guys that's been a key force to change the look of this team really offensively with the physicality that he brings to the table. And I add uh, Cam Atkinson and Brady Tuchuk, two other guys who fit that mold as well to round out my forward compliment. A.J. Atkinson's another guy. It's basically a Columbus stack that is lo- I'm looking at here uh, offensively. Brady Tuchuk, obviously a factor when uh, your team game planning for Ottawa. He's starting to get his game in order and emerging as a young leader here to this uh, team's fortunes. On defense, I always look for value here and I see Damon Severson's clicking along at 4600 bucks. I pick a guy who's a, uh, kind of a linchpin on the power play here which looks like it should improve in the near term with the addition of their new captain in the fold as we highlighted him on the main broadcast earlier and the Seth Jones so I talked about his numbers at length too having a very nice season for Columbus and being uh, by default the the leader on that power play as well going forward $5,100 his price tag Uh, in the nets I had to go for a, a goalie that would be cheap and in a good matchup and whenever Detroit's on the schedule I look at the opposing net and I think who's playing there and tonight it's UC Soros who's been the, the the workhorse in Nashville a team that I think has its own offensive challenges I'm looking at a low scoring game here and I'll pick uh, the Nashville goalie to come out on top at that $7,000 price tag so that's the way we see it tonight we hope we've given you some food for thought but there's a six game slate that offers a lot of tasty alternatives and uh, I can't wait to dig into it later on uh, to catch catch the action I'm sure you're going to be focused on the Pittsburgh Washington game AJ yeah, absolutely. I, I, I feel a little bit bad for our listeners. You know, you, you went with Washington, Columbus, and New Jersey as several of your teams. I went Pittsburgh, Chicago, uh, and, uh, and Buffalo. So we're on the opposite side of all three of those matchups in, in terms of uh, our picks here. But uh, it'll be interesting. 
I guess maybe uh, maybe our listeners should put one lineup, you know, use both lineups, and then you're, <laughs> you'll win one way or another. Because I don't think both of us are coming out with a winning lineup tonight, and just considering we're on the opposite sides of most of those matchups. Could be a, a mini-dollar bet here, maybe a 50-cent bet then that goes forward, <laughs> AJ. We want to wish our listeners good luck with your picks. Join us again next Tuesday for the following episode of Podcast with Statsman and AJ. So long, folks.